Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The NBA playoffs have tipped off. The official one, not the ridiculous play-in tournament. The actual playoffs. And it's been injury a Yay! How about your biggest stars getting injured in their first game in the playoffs? Oh, woof, 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 woof. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, your host, Raymond. Anton Parch the third, better known as RP3. I'm joined inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette, where we put together all the shenanigans for you by the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlow. A man who, even if you buy a thesaurus, will still make you feel inferior with your intelligence. He just can't help it. He doesn't mean to. He's just naturally gifted that way. It's his cross to bear. It's his burden. So let's try to take it easy on him. Good morning, sir. How are you? It's Monday. (laughs) It's Monday. It's Monday. NBA playoffs. So... (laughs) We get... Some exciting action. We get some very good performances for the opening round of the NBA playoffs. You know what we also get? We get some of the biggest stars injured. Giannis falls onto the court and everyone goes, MVP candidate, maybe the best player in the league, a world champion contender, is injured in game one. And, of course, the Miami Heat steal it. As you would expect them to do. As you would expect Jimmy Butler to do. Because you know who doesn't care that Giannis got injured? Jimmy Butler. Because he's got that dog in him. He's only concerned about winning the game and winning the series. Giannis gets hurt with a back contusion. Not optimal. Ja Morant injures the hands. He's going to try to go, but the way they're describing that injury, I feel more confident, Dawson, about the Greek freak coming back in the series against Miami in a 1-8 matchup. I feel better about Milwaukee's chances to move on than I do about Memphis's chance. Because the way they're describing Jaws' injury, it sure doesn't seem like it's going to be something that he's going to be able to bounce back from. And if the Memphis Grizzlies don't have John Moran, and I know people love throwing out a stat at me, RP3, 
the Grizzlies are like 27 and 13 when they don't have John Moran on the court. I don't want to hear about regular season. I don't want to hear about a random Tuesday game against the Trailblazers. This is the NBA playoffs. Do you think the Memphis Grizzlies have a chance to win a series against the Los Angeles Lakers without John Morant, without a healthy John Morant, without Ja being able to be the dynamic playmaker that he is? When this team already has injury issues as it is, when they already don't have someone that can guard Anthony Davis? The answer you're searching for is no. The jaw one is the one that I go, like you go, he's going to try to go in game two, but there's a good distinct possibility that we may not see him because the injury is that severe. And going back to the Heat-Bucks game, the Heat have lost Tyler Hero. He broke his hand. You had two starters in an NBA playoff series. Both have to leave the game with an injury. Hero's done, broken hand. Thank you for playing. And Giannis will probably get a game of rest and come back after the contusion. Not to mention, you already have guys injured entering the postseason, which we do every year. This is the NBA. It's a long season. But like the Clippers are going to have to roll out there without Paul George for the entire first-round playoff series. That's not optimal. They did all right without him. Can we talk about Russ for a second? I know Russell Westbrook has become a guy that people love to bag on. And I understand that Russ makes it easy. Right? the, The terrible shooting night. And he had another one last night, didn't he? Three of 19. Do you want to learn something? You want to have something? You, you, you want something fun? I'm always Dawson? looking to learn. I want to read you two stat lines here. And I want you to tell me which one you believe is for Russell Westbrook. Now, also in the game for the Clippers, Kawhi Leonard, first time in the playoffs from what, since 2021, I do believe. He only had 38 points, five rebounds, five assists, shot 54% from the field and 60% from three-point range. So that's pretty good. This gentleman had nine points, 10 rebounds, eight assists, two steals, and three blocks. Player two, Dawson, had seven points, 11 rebounds, 10 assists, and two steals. Who's who? Want to take a guess? Well, I know the first one's Russ because I just looked at the stat sheet. But if I didn't know, um, there's not a ton of difference in those two stat lines. Mm. The other player is Chris Paul. I-, I know why we've done it as an NBA fan with NBA fandom. We always give Chris Paul a bit of a pass with the offensive ineptitude because he's notoriously had bad games in the playoffs too where a shot just won't go down. Now, that's not part of Chris's game, right? When we always think of Chris Paul, we always think of pass-first, pass-guard. Old uh, point guard, old-fashioned point guard. He sets up everybody else, and he does a tremendous job of that. But I've always really liked Russell Westbrook. And not because he's an efficient shooter, 
and things have not gone well for him later in his career at the multiple stops since he's left Oklahoma City, right? Hasn't gone well. Sometimes he's been painted as someone who's a difficult teammate. I think a lot of that is because he doesn't kiss anyone's rear end. That's for one, which I actually like a lot. And he just wants to play basketball. He's not into all the other kind of stuff, right? But him and Durant and Abaka and Kendrick Perkins and James Harden in Oklahoma City, that was a great young core. And and look, D'Lo, I, I get it. We, we look back and we want to give all the credit to Durant for Oklahoma City's success when it was a grouping of all those guys together and they all made each other better and Durant ended up being league MVP. And then Westbrook won the MVP afterwards when it was just him and like nobody else when he broke the record for triple doubles. But the one thing you can never complain about Russ about is this. I always know every night when Russell Westbrook rolls out there that the guy's going to compete. He's going to compete. And last night you saw that yet again. Not only after a 3 of 9 shooting performance, which was awful. 3 of 19, rather. He makes his two free throws at the end to push the game. And then what about the effort that he gave on defending Devin Booker? <clears throat> now we can talk about DeAndre Aiden deciding not to want to rebound the basketball, which was inexplicably like, what are you doing? But not only does he frustrate Booker and not give him a clean lane to the basket, he swipes the ball and then the ball's going out of bounds and he dives for it and throws it off of Booker. Like playground, old school type of basketball hustle play. And that's why I love Russ. His game is flawed. Don't, I, I, he's not a perfect player. Never has been. But the guy has the fire in the gut. And you can't teach that. Like that, that's just not something you can teach. You either have it or you don't. And Russ is a flawed player. He takes way too many shots. We can talk about the triple-double numbers always being inflated, which they kind of are. But here's a guy on a terrible shooting night that finds a way because of hustle to help his team win the game. Now, can the Clippers win this series without Paul George and just Russ and Kawhi and some other guys leading the way? Maybe. And it's just game one. But I love that, man. I love that for Russ. Because he's become a real easy guy to bag on the last four to five years. But you know what Russ never does? He never... I always know that Russ is going to compete. It may look ugly, but I'd rather have a guy out there trying and trying to give it his all than guys just, you know, loafing in, just, you know, taking time off. 
Yeah, I mean, there we go. Well, you know, just working on a little something here on the production side, but I mean, I think I think the offensive criticism in comparison to Chris Paul is because Chris Paul's overall much better offensive player. Um, but yeah, Chris Paul does have games in the playoffs that make you scratch your head. I mean, I think that Clippers, you know, Clippers Phoenix series got a lot more interesting yesterday because it's not to say I didn't think the Clippers had a chance with Kawhi and Russ, but um, I did think that Phoenix defensively would look better than that. And so it now looks like it might be a grinded out seven game type series. Um, cause, Could be. Because Kawhi's capable of playing like this for stretches. We know it's not just one game uh, with him. He's able to do this. And if he's healthy and, and it looks like he is right now, then then they can grind things out, you know. And overall, I, I thought that was the big takeaway for me is that I, I think the Clippers have a real chance in this series, even though Phoenix is still my favorite in the Western Conference. Um, you know, the matchup, and look, I thought it was favorable for them to avoid Golden State, uh, Phoenix, that is. And they were able to because of the you know the seating. They didn't jump up to the three line or anything, and 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 I thought that was favorable for them. But now you're in Golden and, State's going to have its hands full too. Yeah, because I mean that Sacramento team is is young and feisty. Now again, I even I still in that like Golden series, State, right? I still like Golden I, State, but I honestly in the Western Conference I like almost all the teams that lost in Game One except Denver because uh, I still think Memphis is a better team. Now is you know Achimura is not going to score twenty nine every game in that series, so Anthony Davis and LeBron have to do more. Uh, for them to continue to win. But again, yeah, if Jaw is hampered, then I don't know if Memphis has enough offense, and it's going to put a lot on Jaron Jackson. So you saw some interesting results. And, you know, the big thing for me, again, is that the Clippers seem like they're a little bit more ready to take on an opponent like Phoenix than maybe I thought heading into the series. I was surprised by that as well. But you have someone like Kawhi on there that we've seen him carry a team in a postseason, right? We've seen him do this before. So that's a huge advantage. And look, I would expect Phoenix to bounce back in a big way in game two. And this is the NBA playoffs, and it always... These series tend to go back and forth. They just do. Of concern level, you say you still like all the teams that lost. Except Denver. Except for Denver, who they absolutely destroyed the Timberwolves. Edwards is going to have to score more than 18 points if they're going to even have a shot to win a game. That could be a sweep. I'm just being honest. I think Minnesota exerted all of its energy to, to go through the play-in tournament to get in. That said, of the teams that lost, who are you the most concerned for? I still think it's Memphis because of Jaws injury. Yeah, it's Memphis. It's it's definitely Memphis, and and it's it's partly the injury. I think it's partly the, again, still the feeling that we don't know anything about this team in the playoffs, and we know a little bit more about maybe guys on the Lakers. We don't know much about that Lakers team in the playoffs, but we know more. No, about we don't know about the parts. team, but we we know it has LeBron, and it has Anthony Davis. And look, Jackson gave them thirty one points. For Memphis. And they still lost by 16. So you're going to have to have Jaw out there for them to have a chance. And he's going to have to be at least 75%. Earlier on the weekend, obviously the playoffs began on Saturday. 
it kind of went as expected in a lot of ways, right? 76ers handled the Nets easily. The Celtics handled the Hawks easily. Uh, that Knicks Cavaliers series, I think, is going to be wildly entertaining. Josh Hart, Julius Randle, former New Orleans Pelicans, helping a team win playoff series. Um, Warriors, Kings, I still like Golden State to win that series. But Sacramento's not going to make it easy. They're just not. And it's a weird thing to say that Sacramento is actually the higher seed. They're the three seed. And we're talking about them being the underdog because they're playing, of course, Golden State, the defending champs, and, you know, the best pure shooter probably the game's ever seen. But Golden State can't mess around. Like, the worst thing that you can do to a young team is give them hope and give them the belief that they are on the same level with you. I think that's a great point. I think the the ability, and, and maybe one game doesn't do that, but if you win a second game, if you're Sacramento, if you take care of, let's say, your second home game, then you start to look. It, not to say Sacramento didn't come into the series with the general idea that they could win it, but there is that feeling like, well, the champs are on the other side. And then all of a sudden, if you win that second game, you look around and go, why not us? You know, we're right, right. here. So that is, that's something Golden State really needs to play well in game two. I think they really need to win game two and, and, and settle things down and kind of avoid that momentum continuing. Look, Sacramento basketball fans are excited to see their team in the playoffs. That was maybe the best atmosphere of any game one. It's been 20, what, almost 20 years. Yeah, they, they, they've been craving this. So, two games on tap tonight, game twos. Nets 76ers is the first game up, and then the nightcap, the late game, will be Warriors-Kings. Let's see how Golden State responds to what happened in game one. And let's see if Brooklyn has any fight or any chance whatsoever against the 76ers. I don't think they do, but let's see what happens in game two tonight. Woo! Good start to today's show. We'll keep it moving. We'll keep it rolling right here. On RP3 and Company, you're listening to the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. The Houston Astros lose yesterday or last night, rather, on Sunday Night Baseball, 9-1. to one. Things went sideways for them there in the seventh inning when the Texas Rangers capped a six-run inning. Marcus Simeon hit a grand slam, and it was their first series win in Houston in nearly five years. The Rangers, who took two or three from the World Series champs, last won a series in Houston back in July of 2018 when Texas swept the Astros. Since that series, Texas had lost 10 straight series in Space City. 
Nathaniel Lowe doubled to lead off the seven, seventh tying his career high with an 11-game hitting streak after an error by shortstop Jeremy Pena. He has not had a good start to the season. Allowed Garcia to reach. Josh Young singled, and then Jonah Heim drew a bases-loaded walk to score low. Robbie Grossman followed with an RBI single to chase Astros starter Framer Valdez off the mound, who had been pitching well until the seventh. Nares comes in, retires the next two batters before Simeon's grand slam to left field on an 0-2 pitch. It's still early for the Strohs. They, we knew, were going to struggle. And I told you that the Rangers were going to be better than people thought. You look at the American League West as it stands right now, and it's way early in the season. It's only April 17th. But we're 15 to 16 16 games in, depending on what team you're looking at. And Texas is 9-6. and Seattle is now up to 8-8. and They've won four straight. The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim County, San Diego Credit Union are 7-8. and They've lost three straight. And Houston's 7-9. We don't count Oakland because, well, God bless the athletics. They're awful. Have you seen there's this kid that the Padres have in the farm system right now? Guy looks like he's going to be special. He's in AAA right now. Uh, his name's like Tatos or Tati, something like that. And he's hitting home runs every at-bat, it seems like, in AAA. So if they call him up at some point, it's going to be reinforcements for a pretty good Padres team. <laughs> yes, yes, the Padres are very good. And no sarcasm. Yes, very much. I, I, I okay, appreciate I know it. it's early on a Monday, so I know people out there <laughs> maybe didn't catch that. I'm referencing the uh, star shortstop who is on a rehab assignment in which he's hit like six home runs in his last 12 at-bats and is – like ten for twelve recently. It's yeah, I don't. I don't think Tatis needs to any more rehab assignments, but that's where we're at. So look, I, Dawson and I told you this before the start of the season because when we did our predictions, both of us picked two of the three wild card teams to come out of the AL West. We both picked the Mariners. I picked the Rangers. He picked the Angels. It's not going to be a, a walk in the park for the Astros this year. They're the defending World Series champions. There's always a little bit of a hangover. One. Two, the Astros always start off slow. Always notoriously start off slow. We've documented it. We've talked about it over and over again. The heartbeat of the team is not there in Jose Altuve. He's not playing. Now, they're going to get Michael Brantley back here. We expect that, what, in the next week or so? Maybe. By the end of the month, we expect Brantley to be back in the lineup. Altuve will come another month after that. You'll get Lance McCullers. So they're dealing with some injuries. They're dealing with the World Series hangover. And they're always are notoriously slow starters. But it's not going to be easy. Like I know some Astros fans like to beat their chest. And I love them because we have them on every week. Brett Chancey. And he's a fan first and foremost. And he likes to talk trash to the other fan bases. It's not going to be easy for the Astros this year, especially with the changes in the scheduling where you're not playing your division opponents as much. So these division series are going to matter probably more than they have. 
Astros are seven and nine for the second year in a row. Remember what happened last year? They started off seven and nine, and what happened, Dawson? What did they do last year? I believe they won the World Series. There we go. So don't freak out, but I am going to be interested to see how this team performs coming up because these are their next three series, Dawson. The Toronto Blue Jays, who are ten and six overall, the Atlanta Braves, who are twelve and four overall, and the Tampa Bay Rays, who are fourteen and two. Those are the next three series. Now, none of those are divisional series, which is helpful. But the schedule, with their injuries, with their slow start, doesn't necessarily give them any favors. Blue Jays Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday at home at Minute Maid, then on the road at Atlanta for three games, on the road at Tampa Bay for three games. Oh, by the way, then they come back home to take on the Philadelphia Phillies for three games. Another three-game set against the Giants, and then a three-game set on the road at Seattle, and then three more at the Angels. So by the time the calendar turns to the first weekend in May, we're going to know a little bit more about this team. It's still too early to panic. I know it's disappointing. People get upset. Never want to lose to a division rival. Totally understand that. Totally going to be appreciative of that. I get it. I'm an Atlanta Braves fan. I don't like losing a single division series. So I totally understand. But the Astros, I do believe, have built up enough goodwill over the last six years for you, Astro fan, not to panic. Just saying. <laughs> just just saying, I think we're good to go there. I don't think you need to panic. Astros, Blue Jays, live for Minute Maid Park. That game will be tonight, right here on the game. You can listen to it, of course. First pitch scheduled for 7-10. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to keep it on the diamond. Going to talk about the LSU baseball team. They got another series win against a top 15 ranked opponent in SEC play. Great. But is there cause for concern about the Tigers? We'll discuss that next right here on the game. This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. That's the best win uh, since I've been here in two years. Um, number one RPI team in the country to win two out of three. Um, you know, we got so many things we can do better, and it's really, really exciting, but I wouldn't want to coach anybody else. Like, the care level of these guys, um, the competitiveness, um, how they're kind of staring up a lot of adversity in the face um, and, you know, getting up and, and going is pretty awesome. And uh, kind of another step today, it's like, 
I had this laundry list of things we were going to talk about after the game, and it's like, hey, we don't have to lose, you know, to be able to go through that, and we will go through all of it. Um, just why don't like let's get super engaged, and not that they haven't been all weekend, but it was a big time win. I mean, hat tip to Kentucky, like that they brought everything they had at us, and um, it's a big time, big time series win. Nobody in the country has uh, the four series wins that we do, or this team does right now, and. Uh, doing that in, in spite of some of the obstacles, uh, just to credit. Jay Johnson, LSU skipper, following his team's 7-6 dramatic win over Kentucky, a game that was delayed by rain. It was the rubber match. And, and once again, an impressive win because you take down a top 15 ranked team at the time. It's a conference series win. These are all great things. This team gives up a ton of runs. I mean, they win 16-6, to mercy rule them, and you're like, oh, okay. On Friday, you're like, oh, Thursday, rather. You're like, here we go. And then they lose 13-10 to on Friday. And then they win 7-6 to on Saturday. And I think this team is rightfully so the number one ranked team in the country. I think their lineup is phenomenal. But the concern that I've had about LSU, and once again, the level of competition that they faced, number 13 ranked Kentucky, before then it was number six South Carolina. The Every SEC series so far has been against a ranked opponent at the time. And once again, explain the try to explain the RPI to me. How's Kentucky with their schedule have the number one ranked RPI, and LSU with all these ranked teams that they face doesn't? I, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, that. no, I don't I, understand the I, RPI. I rankings. looked at it too, and it's <laughs> it's beyond me. It's a little. The funny thing too is you. It's the one situation where you 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 don't you're not even really allowed to bring in the biases because it's done by a computer. So, you know, you, you figure there's, there's a reason for it. I mean, mostly the reason is all of Kentucky's games that people look at when, when you're looking at it and going, well, they played that team. Well, those teams have better RPIs than you'd think, so they don't have anybody who they played in the 200s. So that's, that's essentially okay. the biggest reason. But all right. when you still look at it, it's still pretty confusing. But I think a couple of LSU's midweek wins against like Grambling and such. Nichols um, doesn't help. I think those have brought theirs down a little bit more to where they're not going to be, you know, number one. But I mean, again, they're going to be right there. And the RPI is not like if the committee was meeting today to finalize seeding, LSU would still be the number one overall seed in the tournament. They're going to look past the RPI when they know that there's an exception to that, you know. So if you're an LSU fan, I wouldn't be worried about the RPI at all. You've seen them live in person. What do you make? Yeah, I mean, it, they're very good. Um, and they have a lineup that's pretty treacherous and, and, and impossible to, to pitch to. Um, the pitching is concerning. And so I just keep hearing, like, and, and from the other LSU media members and, and everyone else, I just keep hearing, well, if Chase Shores and Garrett Edwards were here, if Chase Shores and Garrett Edwards were here, okay, I guess. but But they're not. And they're and and none of those guys were your supposed to be your weekend rotation guys. Now will Chase Shores go back and 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 be in the rotation moving forward? If he comes back, maybe. 
Um, but Garrett Edwards is a bull is a back end bullpen guy, and and this team gives up a lot of runs in the first few innings of games, <laughs> more so sometimes than the back end as well. So, like now, look, they're still the best team in the country that I've seen by far. Yes, um, I think Florida has something to say about that, and and is Ooh, right there. Them meeting in Hoover is going to be because they don't get to meet in the regular season, right? And I think that's part of the conversation. But um, no, I mean LSU again, they're not going to lose, and and it, it's almost. That's the other thing, too, about tournament baseball and why I think the NCAA tournament's so fun, too. But also, you have to beat this team twice in a matter of a weekend for them to be eliminated. And that's going to be, I won't say next to impossible, but that's going to be very, very difficult. You're going to have to either outslug them a couple of times, which is very tough to do. Correct. And or get a, a standout performance. And in order to get a standout performance, you feel like you have to be throwing a top-end guy against them. It just doesn't feel like a, a pretty good pitcher can have a career night against that lineup because of how deep it is. So, you know, they're still positioned very well. But I, I think the pitching concerns are, are, are certainly real, and they need to get Shores and Edwards, and we'll see on the updates there. But that, that's where I am with them. You look at them in their five SEC series. They have faced number 11-ranked A&M, number 6-ranked Arkansas, number 11-ranked Tennessee, number 6-ranked South Carolina, number 12-ranked Kentucky. So in all five of their conference series, they haven't faced a team ranked below 12. That's a gauntlet. And they've won every one of those series. But in conference play, they're averaging giving up five and a half runs a game. That's a big number. Yeah, but it's not terrible because you know they're going to score more than five and a half a game. But that lineup is going to have, right, to, to this point, with the exception of the games that they've lost. They've been able to win the series, but they've usually drop a series because they don't have the pitching depth for a three-game series to overcome having one of those games. Now, to get the sweep. Once again, this is top-flight competition. The schedule is about to get a whole lot easier for LSU. Alabama, Auburn, Mississippi, and Mississippi State are four of the worst teams in the SEC this year. They are mediocre to below mediocre. So your conference slate, and then they have to wrap up the regular season at Georgia. Your conference slate, because now we're halfway through the conference schedule, it lines up for LSU. I would expect probably a couple of those series to be series sweep, if uh, sweeps, if I'm being honest. I'm not looking at the rest of the regular season. I'm not even really looking at Hoover per se. I'm just looking down the road. Looking down the road. The best lineup in college baseball, yes, without a doubt. They know how to win series. Yes, without a doubt. But when you get into super regional play, because I think they'll get through a regional, no problem. But super regional, and more importantly, when you get to Omaha, do they have the pitching to win a title? Because they got the lineup to win a title. They don't even need another guy to be like their ace they got from Air Force. They don't even need that. Do they have enough competent pitching behind him? 
That's the question. Because guess what? You can't pitch him every day. You can't pitch him every day, Dawson. And that's the thing where I go, it's the only thing that gives me pause. They're still the number one ranked team in the country. They've won five straight SEC series. Or, I'm sorry, they've won four. They split the one with South Carolina because the third game was canceled due to the bad weather. And they've done that against all five teams have been ranked in the top 12 at the time. But the five and a half runs per game, and they've given up 14, 13, and 13 in recent weekends. It's a big number. It's a big number. Now, when we get by the end of the season, that five and a half is going to decline greatly because Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Alabama, Auburn aren't that good this year. Yeah, I would pause on Bama. I would agree with you though on the other three, though. Just, just to I've watched Bama there. a little bit, and they just I, you're more optimistic about them than I am. But I'll, I'll, I'll say pause. We, we'll, we'll say pause on them. So that number should go down. But I want to remember this number because when you get to a Super Regional or when you get to Omaha for the College World Series, you're not facing the bottom feeders. You're going to be facing teams that are going to be top 10, top 12, nationally ranked programs, the best of the best. That's what you're going to face. That's my only concern, once again, not going to jump to any conclusions and say that this team can't do this or this team can't do that. It's just we're halfway through the conference slate now. That's where we're at. We're halfway through conference play. They don't have more than one really starting pitcher. Now, it hasn't mattered because they've been able to outslug everyone. But it is intriguing. Poll question of the day. We asked you, do you think LSU's lack of pitching depth will cost them the title? 55% of you say too early to tell. 31% say yes. 14% say, oh, no way, Jose. Let's get to some comments, early comments. JPK, the OD, says too early to tell, but I'm confident they will get it together kind of like those Seattle Mariners are. Oh, JPK, the OD, found a way to get Mariners' conversation into the poll question. It's about college baseball, but yet he found a way to get his Mariners in there. What's their hashtag? Fear the teal or fights? Fight? Well, it was see us rise with the SEA. Oh, I don't know if they changed that. There it, or it not. is. That's adorable. Ralph says, really depends on who can get healthy in time to make a run. But as it stands right now, if they have to throw Johnny Holstaff in a regional, super regional, it won't be pretty. Steve says, isn't the coach responsible for setting up the pitching staff? Great lineup, but if he doesn't figure out who can pitch on Saturday and Sunday, this team will ultimately fail. Quote, don't blame the arrow, blame the Indian. And LC says, Cajuns pitching cost them the SBC. We'll get to the Cajuns later on today's show as well. Because that's another team. We had questions. We talked about it right here on this show, Dawson and I did, about do the Cajuns have enough pitching? It doesn't look like they do as we're halfway through conference play. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up right here on the game.
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. It's like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, our n- number one is in the books. Talked NBA playoffs beginning off with a bang and a slew of injuries to the Greek Freak and Tyler Hero and John Morant. Not the most optimal start for the association. Also touched on LSU baseball. They got out a series win. Their fifth straight SEC series win all against top 12 ranked opponents. We're going to count the South Carolina one as incomplete, right? That's what we're going to do? Yes. But do they have enough pitching to win the title? That's our poll question of the day. Keep voting on that. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, of course, and we'll share those thoughts with all of you throughout the remainder of today's show. What we got on tap? Ah, We're going to recap the weekend for Raging Cajuns baseball. Did not go the way it was supposed to. We'll also talk more LSU with Jeff Palermo of Tiger Rag Radio. And you know what? We're going to take your phone calls. Game hotline's open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You listen to RP3 and company right here on the game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, me, oh, my crawfish pie. Hour number two has arrived on this Monday edition of RP3 and Company. Good morning to you and yours. Thank you for making us part of your morning commute for work or for school. Now that the holiday weekend is in the rearview mirror, everyone's getting back to normalcy, especially with the kiddos going back to school, as is mine today. First day back's always on a little bit of the struggle bus, <laughs> which is why... I made sure to set up my wife's coffee before I left just to give her a helping hand since I'm not there. We are broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parts III. I'm joined by the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlow. Coming up half an hour from right now, we're going to be talking all things LSU with our guy Jeff Palermo. Baseball got another series win over the weekend. We talked about it in hour number one. They take two or three from Kentucky. 
They've won four or five SEC series. They split with South Carolina because game three was eliminated due to bad weather. And all five of those series for LSU was against teams ranked in the top 12 at the time. So a gauntlet of the first half of the SEC schedule. Now the back half, Alabama, Auburn, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Georgia, not necessarily world beaters. They don't have to worry about playing Florida. They don't have to worry about playing Vandy, right? They can avoid those two teams. They won't have to face them off until the SEC tournament over in Hoover, Alabama. But LSU finds a way. Number one ranked team in the country. The best team in the country, the best lineup in the country without a doubt. The pitching, yeah, and that's the concern. Not alarmed, not even worried, just we're halfway through conference schedule now, and I thought we would see the pitching behind their ace and a guy that could go number one overall in the Major League Baseball Amateur Draft this summer. It will either be he or his teammate, Dylan Cruz, in Skeens. You thought that someone else would step up. You would think by this point that they would have solidified a number two. I didn't think they had the talent to have three stud pitchers, but I thought they would figure out who the number two is and who can be a consistent guy. He doesn't have to be as good as Skeens because that guy is special. That guy's going to be like an All-American. But you just need someone to go out there and not give up six runs in a game. And right now, the Tigers don't have that. Now, as we stated in our number one, once again, they've won four or five SEC series against top 12 ranked opponents. And the other one, they split. And they didn't get a chance to play the third game because of weather. And averaging five and a half runs given up a game in conference play is obviously Paul Ball. That's no good. But that number will decrease because the level of competition that they're going to be facing in conference play is about to drop. Dawson brought up Alabama may be better than you expect. I've watched a couple Alabama games this year. Eh. They're a wildly frustrating team. But if they play to their potential, that could be a challenging series. But you would expect the number one ranked team in the country after beating the number 11 ranked team, two out of three, the number six ranked team at the time, two out of three, beating the 11th ranked team again, two out of three, beating the sixth ranked team, one out of two, and then beating the 12th ranked team, two out of three, that they could handle Alabama, Auburn, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and UGA. So I expect that number, which is a little too big, five and a half runs per game is a lot to average to give up in conference play. You want that to be closer to four, ideally three and a half, but the way LSU hits the ball, four. Does that give you any concern? Does that give you pause if you will 
about LSU's chances to win the whole thing, the whole enchilada, if you will, the national championship dogpiling in Omaha. Well, the crazy thing, too, is as you've mentioned with the schedule, it was it, it's one of those things, too, when you looked at it and you, you saw where teams were and you said it's going to lighten up. Now that you're a decent chunk of the way through the SEC schedule to where, again, like that's another thing to remember, the entire SEC, it's, it's loaded. It's, it's, you know, in football we have the debate sometimes, is the SEC, and sometimes you go, well, the Big Ten's really good, and, and, and I think generally the SEC's probably the best football conference, but there's certainly years where you question it. There's no doubt, like, the SEC is far and away better than every other conference in baseball. Um, and, and this year, it might be the biggest gap it's ever been. Like, it's, it's that big of a gap, in my opinion. So, none of these teams, when we say they have an easier time, like, they're still pretty good baseball teams. They're better than a lot of teams. Um, but it's a significant drop-off within the SEC as well. Like, not only is there a drop-off from the SEC to everyone else, well, within the SEC, there's, like, six or seven elite teams that I think have a great shot to make Omaha – then there's four or five really good teams that honestly could make a run and get to Omaha. And then there's like three or four teams at the bottom that are pretty good teams. And they so how many? So how many? How many did you say for the elite teams that you feel like had a great chance to go to Omaha? I think there's about six or seven out of the SEC. Yeah, I I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that you're gonna say Vandy, Vandy Florida, Florida, LSU, LSU, Arkansas. Yes, and then Kentucky is fringe for me there. Um, and they're a team. Look, this weekend, I, I don't know how much it changed my opinion on Kentucky just because, in general, I kind of already thought they were a really good team. But then there's an interesting thing with Kentucky that they play baseball in a different way, right? And we heard Jay Johnson allude to this. Like, they play the small ball, kind of move runners over, put a lot of pressure on your defense. But they do it with also guys who can slug in the middle of the lineup. So it's kind of an interesting way of doing things. So where was I with that? We have... Uh, those five that we already listed, um, I would put South Carolina right up there as well. I would put South Carolina. I would say Vandy, Florida, South Carolina, and then I'd say Arkansas and LSU, and then maybe, maybe Kentucky. Um, right. So that maybe, and you know, then you, the next level is Tennessee. They are only five and ten in conference play. Yeah, yeah, no, that. So that's that's where I was. That was six, and then I think Tennessee's a team. Talent-wise, you've seen it, so that's why you don't want to ride them off yet. They A&M's have the guys on the roster. Too. Well, a and I, I feel A&M clear-cut is in that next tier for me, that like yeah. really good teams that, again, could make a run, and I don't think we'd be surprised if Texas A&M made it to Omaha. Um, but they're there. And then the bottom tier of teams for me, it's Georgia, it's Ole Miss, shockingly. I mean, they're the defending champs. At Auburn. We'll see Mississippi State and Missouri are right there as well, but I you know, I still think Mississippi State has a chance to maybe turn things around. But those are the teams that are, again, they're really good baseball teams if you just put them compared to the rest of the country. Uh, but within the SEC, they're going to struggle to win series. So with all that being said, getting back to what I kind of started this point off, is that LSU's now facing teams that they're better than the rest of the way. And that's like every series. There's not an exception. There's not, well, they're going to have three or four, but then they got to go play Florida. Well, no, they don't. They play nothing but teams that they're better than. And, in my opinion, the two best teams that they play remaining on the schedule, Mississippi State and Alabama, are both at home. Correct. Huge advantage. So you're going to go on the road to Georgia, who's 4-11 and in conference oh, play. You still like your awful. chances. And you're going to go on the road to Auburn, who has lost a series. Not only they've lost a bunch of SEC series, yes. they lost a series to the Southeastern Lions. Who are not very good in South. Not South even conference. a great conference. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, Auburn is, a, is a, another one. They have some talent. Look, it was a bad weekend for them when they played Southeastern, but... You're going to play teams you're significantly better than. So I look, I 
even if LSU doesn't figure out the pitching issues right now, which I think they'll they'll start to figure it out, I think they only lose two conference games the rest of the way. I'll say that right now. That would be my my guess, my estimation. I think they drop one game individually in two of the remaining series. I think they get a couple of sweeps as well. Correct. You and I are on the same page here, and then it all depends on who they're going to get tested by in Hoover. And it's also going to be interesting to see because under Paul Maneri, the LSU baseball team really embraced playing well at the SEC tournament in Hoover. Like, it was a badge of honor for them to go out there and win the SEC tournament. It meant something to them. They cared a lot more than some other teams within the – it's funny, too. You have this group of teams in the SEC that seems to really care about the tournament and then a group of teams that doesn't. Doesn't. Does Jay Johnson care? We'll see. Like, I say – because he's not beholden to the SEC tournament, right? Like, it, it's not part of his DNA. It, he doesn't have anything affiliated with it. You know, Paul always loved the SEC tournament. And for Paul, sometimes if the season was up and down, it was a way for his team to end strong, and they would then get into a regional and, and, and do everything like that based on how they performed over in Hoover. But if you're the number one ranked team, like, I, I'm going to throw this out here to you. We know you don't want to be the number one ranked team heading into regional play overall because that's been the kiss of death. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't fear it, but yeah, statistically. I wouldn't fear it, it but it's been that way for like 20 years. See Tennessee last year. Would it really be all that bad if LSU fell short of winning the SEC tournament and lost to maybe say like Florida or Vandy and they took the one number one spot like and then you got a couple extra days of rest. Well, to here's gear the thing. because you're still going to host a regional. You're still going to host the super regional. It's not like you're going to leave Baton Rouge. Yeah, we're five weeks away from it, so I know it's kind of silly to be having these conversations. But I, I think it's if you're actually looking at what's better or worse, I think it's better to lose first couple games of the tournament. Like to be honest, um, because you're going to have then the only the only downside maybe and to losing team is that dealing early. with injuries as well. Don't forget that. That this right. team is dealing with injuries, so time and off. Because my so my whole point with that would be the time off and kind of the, the 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 ability to get your pitching staff healthy and the ability to just not be drained. Because man, some of those LSU teams that made great runs in the SEC tournament, like that takes a little something out of you. We've had some crazy extra inning, like long term games. Again, since LSU, in my opinion, is probably going to be a top two, two or three seed in the SEC tournament, they already get a big, you know, group of you get that double buy, um, and so I don't think there's going to be any need to win games in that tournament for them, to be honest. And if they do, it'll be it, it, the funny thing too is if you if you win games in that tournament, then some people will say that's great momentum heading into the regionals, and some people will say oh they exert all the energy. And if you lose a couple games in the tournament, some people will say. This team's not playing well. They got no momentum, and some people will say that's fine. They just wanted to rest. So, like, no if matter LSU what happens, LSU wins their first game and then drops a couple, and they get to go home early. And let's say one of the losses is because I think, look, if because I don't, I'm not for sure what the latest standings are, but I know Florida's nipping at the heels. Right, they're a top three team right now. Yeah, Vandy's still uh, at the top right now. Okay, so if one of those teams wins, they would more than likely probably vault up to being the number one. Remember last year, Tennessee was able to win the regular season title and then won the conference tournament title and then obviously got upset. LSU could be the regular season champs and then get bounced from Hoover maybe earlier than expected to either Vandy or Florida. They win the conference tournament. Then you could see them overtake them as the number one overall seed. And I think Jay Johnson's team would be fine having a couple extra days rest for their banged-up team. And because here's the thing, 
even if you do lose the SEC tournament, if you're LSU, you're still going to host your regional and you're still going to host your super regional. So your path to Omaha is very clear. It's a very and, and I know some people don't like that it that it is like that. And but I mean I think obviously you have to have that point where somewhere where they are, yeah, like it's the, it's 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 almost predetermined at this point. They're going to host a regional and super. I mean, yes, it's short of an a monumental collapse that we don't really. Think yeah, getting is possible swept by like Auburn and you know <laughs> and Georgia Miss. down the stretch. And Georgia maybe, down the stretch. Then yeah. you're still sitting at you're still probably hosting a regional. Like they've done, like, yeah, like Jay Johnson said, regional. they have the series wins that no one in the com- in the country has. Right. So correct. All that being considered for this is something that I think some people are worried about when it comes to football and the expanded playoff, which we're going to have plenty of time to talk about the expanded playoff. I think it's absolutely incredible. Um, but you might have a game down the stretch, and we've seen it a little bit already in the fourteen playoff format, where a team went to the SEC turn uh, the SEC championship game, and we said like Georgia last year, for instance, we said they're in no matter what, whether they lose or not. So it's just a matter of do you really care that much about the SEC championship game, or are you gonna you're not gonna rest starters, but you could theoretically. Yeah. So that's kind of where we're we are with this, and we'll get closer to it and we'll be able to kind of talk about this more but I think it's an interesting thing because it doesn't happen every year where you have a team that's so clear-cut up there at the top that they don't need those games they really don't but I personally am a fan of conference tournaments and and obviously the other conferences need it maybe more than the SEC does so I'm a a fan of of conference tournaments as well I'm glad they happen and if you're Jay Johnson if you really are concerned about health and, and things like that going forward then you get to go to Hoover and get some guys some playing time that don't get a chance to play very much. So I think it's also a bonus. Speaking of teams that need conference tournaments, it sure does look like the Louisiana Raging Cajuns are probably going to need it. We'll talk about that and what happened to Matt Diggs's squad over the weekend at home, nonetheless. That's next, right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I'm not worried about the hits today. I mean, we're so shorthanded, Kevin, right now, and and you can't underestimate the power of a couple, two or three players. And, you know, you got Preach that's banged up. You got Toit that's banged up. You got Jew that's been throwing up all night. Uh, God bless him, he tried to go out there. Uh, Debo, uh, I'm proud of the way we finished this thing. Uh, we just got to weather this storm, like Coach always used to say, and we're in the midst of it right now. But we'll get the guys back, and we'll weather this thing, and we'll be ready when the game comes back around because it always does. How concerned should you be about your favorite team's recent struggles? Time to sound the alarm for Decon Level with D-Lo on the game. So, Let's go. We're back. We're back with the decon levels. It's and, been a uh, minute. 
You know, I wasn't planning to do one for this, and I, I really honestly wasn't really all that concerned. And then I saw a lot of Twitter reaction and a lot of people saying different things, some of which I thought was completely out of left field, like, you know, this team has no fight or things like that. Um, and so then I felt like, you know what, let's let's have one. Let's sound the alarms and let people know. But I'm going to let people know that they shouldn't be all that concerned. And you just heard some of the reason why. That was Coach Degg's comments after the game on the second game of the doubleheader on Sunday. Um, in which the Cajuns actually won two to one to salvage one in the series. But look, I, decon level for me is going to be a one point seven, um, and that's out of five. Of course, our scale is from zero to five. Uh, five being you're absolutely panicked, hitting the buttons and screaming and, and sounding the alarms, and at zero, of course, you're not worried at all. I'm at a one point seven here. Like I'm, I'm moderately concerned because the starting pitching, when we said that the, the rotation could be settled, it wasn't great, but. Here's the thing, it wasn't terrible. Like, Jake Hammond didn't have a great game on Friday night, and is he a Friday night starter in the typical fashion of your dominant Friday night ace? No, he's not, but we've known that for a while now. I don't think that's what we were waiting for. I think we were just waiting for it to be settled and calm enough for him to be a reliable option, and I think he is that. He had a bad outing, that's fine. Jackson Neza, I thought, was pretty good on Saturday, and look, things got away at the end of the outing, and then it kind of translated. But also, you didn't score enough runs to win the game. Uh, and that's, excuse me, the first game of the Sunday doubleheader because Saturday's game didn't happen. The game was pushed. Correct. Um, I thought Jackson Neza was fine. And I still think he's fine as a starter. And I like his stuff. I like his plus stuff. I actually like Jackson Neza as a Friday night guy if Ooh. you were going to have one. But I don't think it matters. And I'm fine with throwing, even right. if Jackson right. Neza ends up being better. I almost like the idea, and I've, I've talked about this, like my high school coach used to do this, not that that's comparable to this, where you don't throw your ace in the first game of a series anyway. You throw your ace in the second game so that you have a big advantage in the second game. So again, I don't think Neza's that much better than Hammond to where it's a, it's a, it's a matter of doing that anyway. But my point being, I thought both those guys were great. And Blake McGee was great once again. And I think that's the bigger takeaway from the weekend is like that was the quote-unquote question mark. Well, he was really good in his first start at Marshall, but... We'll see. Well, he's your guy. I mean, he's your third guy. He's your option there. And so, like, I think there's more things settled than not. And like Coach Deggs alluded to, Julian Brock had uh, some sort of stomach bug or some sort of illness, and he woke up on Sunday feeling terrible. He was throwing up. He tried to start. He played a couple innings. He couldn't go. So you had Clay Wargo in there, who hasn't played a ton all year at the catcher spot. Kyle DeBarge is still banged up. He didn't play in the second game of the doubleheader. He was just getting back this weekend. It's true. Um, Jack, uh, Dylan Toyd is still working his way back. He's your one of your best bullpen options, your best left-handed option out of the bullpen, and a guy who's going to pitch in a ton of high-leverage situations down the stretch. He's on his way back. We'll see if we get an update this week. You know, signs were pointing to him being back soon. The last we talked to Coach Daggs, so like, I think a lot of things are moving in the right direction. And all that to say, they're ten and five in conference play, tied for second place in the league. Correct. And so, like, all that is a lot of concern. Now, are you going to be an at-large regional team? I think the RPI is in a spot where probably not. The Sun Belt's a lot better, and again, I've talked about it a lot. I think it's better than people think it is. It's the fifth best conference in the country this season. Uh, ranked ahead of a Power Five conference in the Big Ten. Ranked ahead of Conference USA. Ranked ahead of the American. We'll see though if they get four teams in. Right, and it's going to have to be the right four, and it's that's just have. sometimes how these things work out with the way the RPI is and how unsettling it is at times. But here's here's a rebuttal. We're halfway through conference play, and you're correct. The two teams they've swept 
Marshall and Arkansas State are the bottom two teams in the conference. The two worst teams in the conference, the Cajuns swept. They also took two out of three from South Alabama, who is a below 500 team on the season and a below 500 team in conference play. So they're three series win because they've won three of five Sunbelt Conference series have come against three of the bottom feeders in the Sunbelt this year. So far, halfway through the season, these are three of the worst teams in the Sunbelt. They lost two to App State, who's a middle-of-the-pack team. And they lost two out of three this past week in Detroit, who is better but feels like a middle-of-the-pack team. They still have to play Coastal Carolina. They still have to play Southern Miss. They still have to play Texas State. Now, this weekend, they go to James Madison, who's also one of the worst teams in the conference, right? But that's a cross-country road trip, but still. And they still have to face ULM, who is an absolute dumpster fire. They're 14-22. and 22. So, I think they're going to finish right round where they're at, second, third, fourth place, Dawson. But I also think it matters who they've played. And... You beat up on the bad teams. You swept the the worst teams in the conference. But the teams that are kind of in the middle of the pack are the ones that you lost to. Now, once again, it's halfway through the conference slate. They still have an opportunity to take down, take two or three from Coastal, who will be at the Teague. That's a week from this coming weekend, by the way. That'll be a huge series. Weekend of Festival International will also be Coastal Carolina at UL. And they'll have Southern Miss on the road. So they'll have two great series opportunities to maybe even win the regular season championship still. That's still in play, by the way. But, I, I look, I understand completely what you're saying. I still have concerns about the pitching. The bullpen has been interesting, to say the least, for the Cajuns. And it's still early. And... I think they're going to be around the top four. And I think your threat assessment is spot on, but the two sweeps have been against the two worst teams in the conference. So is their conference record a little inflated? Maybe. But I think we're going to find out a little bit more about this team when Coastal Carolina comes to town. Yeah, but and, right? well, and if you think that their level of play in the series that they've lost is how they're going to play against Southern Miss and Texas State and Coastal, then, yeah, they're going to lose those series, too. I don't think they're going to play like that. Another thing, the South Alabama series, I know their record is what it is overall, but after UL took two or three, South Alabama's beaten James Madison two out of three, beat Texas State two out of three, and beat ULM two out of three. So that team's trending in the right direction, and I think that's a pretty impressive series win on the road in Mobile. We talked about how that team had underachieved so severely coming into that series that it was going to be difficult to continue to dominate them the way that other teams had. Um, but look, overall, the toughest thing for me is that the RPI should be better than it is. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a couple of things. The scheduling is tough. The high point series is point destroying your RPI. Kills them. Um, there's a couple of other ones. That's, that's really the one that stands out to me because again, like I'm never going to fault a team for playing midweek games against Louisiana opponents. The Louisiana college baseball scene has been very good for a long time. Uh, BYU is a team that you thought was going to be pretty good. Again, they were a team that won 38 games a year ago. They're 200th in the RPI. I don't think you could have foreseen that. 
Um, you know, Campbell was an opportunity, and he didn't win the series, but high point being at 236. Um, and then Arkansas State being at 241. Like, that's that's tough. All that's tough. And, you know, it Tulane's a team that's usually very good RPI win for you, and it's 206 for them. Like, all those factors is why you're 74th right now. And in theory, I think they're more of a top – look, they were receiving votes in some of the polls. Some of the polls had them as the 28th best team in the country last weekend, you know? So that tells you that the polls think they're better than the RPI. The people who follow college baseball and, and, and write for college baseball and the media think they're better than that. But the RPI is what it is, and when it comes to selection committee time, they're not going to care about why your RPI is what it is. They're going to look at what it is. And so I think that's the more of the cause for concern. Where the RPI is, yeah, like you're, you're now going to back yourself probably into a corner where once again you're going to have to go to the Sunbelt Tournament and try to win it to make regionals. And that's not where the program wants to be. They need to, be, they need to win the Coastal Carolina Series next weekend. Well, not only that, I, I again, I don't know if that's going to be enough. That's a great start, but I, I don't I think it's, know I think it's a great you're... start. You're gonna, I, I feel like for them to improve their RPI to the point where they could get in at large, they're going to have to beat Coastal Carolina two out of three, and they're going to have to take two out of three out of Southern Miss. Right. I, I would agree. And so my point being with all of that is that that's where, if you wanted to be concerned, it should be that the RPI isn't where it should be. But again, I think a lot of factors led to that. Like this team's twenty-five and twelve. I think if you'd have told Coach Dex at the beginning of the season that that's where you were going to be, he'd probably be pretty happy with it. It just hasn't come at the right times, and so for now, you're only capable of winning the games on your schedule. It's just I think as an actual team, like where they are baseball-wise, I'm not that concerned. They've had some tough series, some tough losses, injuries have played a factor. They just haven't played their best baseball at times. But I think they're going to be fine moving forward. Number one, they don't have a you know legit, clear-cut number one guy, and they never did. And that was going to be a question coming in, and it didn't end up developing the way it wanted to. But you didn't really have that last year either, and you were okay. So that, that's, that's where I am with the Cajuns. So threat level 1.7. Well, there you go, Cajun fans. Certainly coming in below some of the Pelicans' numbers we gave earlier. <laughs> we got to take a timeout. When we return... We'll talk all things LSU with our guy Jeff Flarmo from Tiger Rag Radio. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette. 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. LSU Tigers get a series win over number 12 ranked Kentucky, taking two of three at Alex Box Stadium over the weekend. They've won four of five SEC series. They split the two-game set with South Carolina because the third game got canceled due to rain. But they're also giving up a ton of runs, averaging five and a half runs per game in SEC play. And they've given up 13, 13, and 14 so far in the first half of the conference slate. But that's also been against Teams ranked in at least the top twin, uh, top 12, two of them ranked in the top six. So what do we make of what we've seen from the number one ranked team in the country? And is there any cause for concern at all? Joining us now to discuss that is the man from Tiger Rag Radio. He's also the sports and news director for the Louisiana Radio Network. Jeff Palermo joins us now. Jeff, good morning to you, brother. How are you? 
Doing well, Raymond. How about yourself? Doing good, bud. Doing good. So let me ask you, we're halfway through the conference slate now after the series win over Kentucky. They've won four or five series all against top 12 ranked opponents. They split the two games with South Carolina. Obviously, they're the number one ranked team in the country for a reason. Obviously, they have the best lineup in the country. But is there cause for concern for the Tigers? Yeah, I think you should be concerned. There's no doubt. Um, You can count on Paul Skeens in that first game. And then outside of that, I don't know exactly what you're going to get. Uh, Ty Floyd has not been very good here lately. You don't really have a third-day starter. Uh, Christian Little and Thatcher Hurd have not been on point. Um, Coach Jay Johnson has been talking positive here about Thatcher Hurd, uh, even though he's had a couple of uh, shaky outings but has not really you know, um, blown up like he did in that uh, final game of the series against Tennessee. You've been looking for somebody to kind of, to um, to step up, and one guy that has stepped up is Bryce Collins, the transfer from Arizona. He has really pitched well. He pitched well in two outings last week, including in the win against Kentucky and in the win against Tulane. So that's a positive sign. But pitching is certainly certainly a concern. Uh, the defense let him down on Thursday. I'm not too concerned about that. That was just or not Thursday. It was Friday night. Um, not too concerned about that. They committed a season high three errors for the most part. Defensively, this team has been good. Uh, they don't make a ton of spectacular plays, maybe outside of Jordan Thompson and Dylan Cruz, but they're more than adequate at all the different positions. Uh, you know, Tommy White a little bit shaky on his throws at third base, but uh, I think it's it, it's livable there. Uh, but uh, the injuries have been mounting. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Brady Neal missed this past weekend with the injury. With an injury, uh, Gavin Dugas goes down with a shoulder injury on Thursday night. So uh, there's a lot to be concerned about, but uh, they still have the best offense in the country. They're never out of a ball game. Again, Saturday illustrated that. They're down 6-4. to four. They figure out a way to win the game. Uh, they can outslug you, but they can't do it every game. Like what happened on Friday night, they ended up losing 13-10. to 10. But um, – a lot of teams have their variety of issues, um, but I think if LSU does not win a national championship, it's going to fall back on pitching. That, that to me, is going to be the uh, the big issue. Now, there's still plenty of time here for a guy like Ty Floyd, uh, Thatcher Hurd, Christian Little, or somebody else to get locked in here and really help um, – pitching-wise, and be someone that they can count on, and hopefully they get Garrett Edwards back later on in the season because I think not having him on Friday night really hurt them in that game. Uh, If they got a guy like Garrett Edwards coming out of the bullpen, they may win that game on Friday night. Christian Little was supposed to be the guy. I mean, this is a guy that had plenty of experience playing for a national championship contending team year in, year out in the Vanderbilt Commodores. So he understands the SEC. He understands pressure moments. Um, That's the one that's been the biggest head-scratcher for me, Jeff, is I thought he was going to make that transition far smoother, and it has been a rough go for the former Commodore. Yeah, it has been. uh, To me, uh, Thatcher Hurd has been a little bit more disappointing than Christian Little. Uh, to be honest with you, just because that I think Thatcher Hurd has got better better stuff. He's got better than, stuff, yeah. Christian Little, 
So there's still time to kind of get some of these guys on track because, look, they're not going to get a Paul Skeens. Uh, there's not another guy like that on the roster, right? So they're going to have to find someone that can just be a serviceable number two. I think they can win a national title if they can find just somebody to be a serviceable middle-of-the-road number two. They don't have that yet now. They'll have five series to figure that out because this conference schedule now all of a sudden gets very, very easier for them as they'll play the likes of Alabama, Auburn, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and Georgia. Those are five of the worst teams in the SEC. Yeah, especially starting this weekend in Oxford. I mean, LSU has an opportunity to get a sweep. You mentioned Ole Miss and Georgia. Those two teams currently have the worst conference records at the moment. Uh, this is the opportunity now that uh, LSU can really take off. And then you also go by uh, what Skip Bertman would say for so many years. Once you hit tax day, okay, that's when you, that's when you take it to another level. And uh, tax day is tomorrow. <laughs> so when uh, the Raging Cajuns come to Alec Box Stadium, uh, LSU needs to, needs to kick it up uh, another gear here. And, yeah, there's still plenty of time for this to, to kind of work itself out. And who knows? Uh, maybe you get a Chase Shores back. Maybe you get a Garrett Edwards back. Um, if, if you can get some guys back here, uh, what what is the, the positive out of this is you are having to use guys that maybe you weren't expecting to have to use, like Gavin Gidry, for instance. Um, you know, he's being now called on to – uh, pitching some big moments, uh, you know Bryce Collins, as I mentioned earlier on, stepping up. Can a can a Sam Dutton? You know, don't forget about this guy. This guy made uh, I don't know what did he make about ten or eleven starts last year, or something, something to that effect. And um, he's a guy that can can still potentially emerge as the season goes along. So while while it's a little bit rocky at this point. Uh, pitching staff wise, uh, there, there's still plenty of chances here for them to uh, get this uh, figured out, and and it seems like Javen Coleman should be back uh, by the end of the season, and that'd be a huge addition to get a left-hander like him uh, out there, uh, and then hopefully you also get Nate Ackenhausen back, another left-hander who's been dealing with a hamstring injury. So uh, there's there's the potential for this pitching staff to really be. Uh, formidable once postseason time comes around. Just a, a, a few things need to come to co- need to come together. Um, what's the latest on Gavin Dugas? Well, you know, Jay Johnson says based on what the training staff says is uh, it's not too serious. And uh, Gavin Dugas uh, told Jay Johnson uh, after the injury on Thursday, "Hey, I'll be back uh, next weekend." So. We'll see. I think it's a very similar injury to what we had with uh, Tommy White. Remember when he injured his shoulder yeah. in the first game and then had a DH for a little bit before he can play? Now, the question is, though, um, if you have to move Gavin Dugas to DH, that will certainly lessen your lineup. Then you, you're probably looking at Napolt. Uh, at second base, who's fine. Uh, there, there's no doubt about that. He, he's a fine player defensively, not much a hitter. But then you're taking a bats away potentially from Braden Jobert, uh, a Cade Beloso, or somebody like that out of the DH spot. Uh, probably Cade Beloso since he's been primarily the DH spot. So, you know, when Tommy White went down, he, you didn't really have a set DH like they do now in Cade Beloso. So, um, 
Dugas may um, may have to just kind of sit this one out even a little bit longer uh, just to make sure. But he said he'll be ready next weekend. But I know Jay Johnson's getting fed up with it as far as the injuries go. Uh, they, they've really started to pile up on this team. And I think Jay Johnson knows he's got a championship contender on his, on his hands here. And uh, one thing that could derail it is injuries. And uh, LSU certainly has their fair share of them right now. I'll get you out of here with this, Jeff. Only got about a minute left, but spring football wraps up this week. Um, is there a question out there about this team that you feel is going to be answered by the end of the week? No, probably not. I don't think so. I, I think really at this point is just get through this thing without any more injuries. Um, and then let, let's uh, you know line it up for real once uh, August comes around. But I don't know how much uh, you could really take – I'm sure to get, they've been able to take a look at some guys, uh, especially some of the newer guys, get, get a bit of better feel there out of them. But uh, I, I don't think there's going to be any kind of firm answers or you know any bold statements that you can certainly make uh, based on what happens uh, here in the last uh, week of spring football. Well, Jeff, thankfully we have no questions about what you bring to the table. That's why we have you on every Monday, brother. Enjoy your week, my friend. Enjoy Tiger Rag Radio this week. All right, man. Sounds good. Thanks, Raymond. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and Company on On the the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. Do you think LSU's lack of pitching depth will cost them the title? 48% of you say too early to tell. 37% say yes. 15% say no. Let's get to some additional comments. At LSU Steve 1973. Getting back Coleman will be huge. I agree. Having him and having him being able to eat up innings is going to be big for this team. I totally agree with that. Ton says, I said it's too early to tell, but it's concerning. Truth to tell, anyone can get hot at the end of the season. Anyone can get cold. So if you're relying on bats that slump at the wrong time, that's the, that's the one thing. This lineup is a murderer's row. But you, you, you worry just slightly if they get to Omaha, and let's say they have a bad night at the plate and Skeens isn't pitching. Once again, it's going to take a lot of what-if scenarios, right? What if they have a bad day at the plate? What if it's not on one of the days where Paul, you know, Skeens is not pitching? So I, I get it, and there's still time for them to figure it out. There's still time. But that's the scenario where you're like, well, also, that's baseball. Now, Correct. Thank you. And the you. only thing I would say that's changed is, like, this team had a – there was an inkling where it looked like maybe this was like a 
once-in-a-generation type dominant team. I don't think they're that. But I think they're the best team in the country this season. They're the best lineup in the country. Right. But it's baseball. And it is baseball. It, this isn't the type of team that can that will you know, you've had a couple of teams in the past. Oregon State had a couple of them where it was like this team is a once in a generation team. I don't know if LSU's that team. A but lot of still people the best thought team this season. Tennessee was that team last year and we saw what happened. They had a couple bad days and they didn't make it. So just saying. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three, we're gonna kick it off talking high school baseball. With Coach Jeremy Trahan, that's next right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, 8.03, which means the final hour has arrived for this Monday edition of RP3 and Company. Not to worry, we got good stuff still on tap for you. We spent a lot of today's show talking about the LSU baseball team, taking two or three of Kentucky. Are you concerned about their pitching depth? We discussed the Louisiana Raging Cajuns dropping a series over the weekend at home to Troy, but it's at the halfway point. They still have time to kind of rally. They're still, you know, towards the top in the standings, and They have great opportunities still in front of them. Coastal Carolina, Southern Miss Series, and Texas State all still on tap for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Astros, they let the game get away from them last night, give up a grand slam as the Rangers win their first series in Houston against the Astros in the last 10 tries. So it's been a minute. But just a reminder, the Astros are 7-9. Guess what? They were 7-9 and nine last year at this time, and they went on to win the World Series. But enough about college baseball, enough about the show. Let's talk a little high school baseball, because guess what? Regular season wraps up today. Playoff brackets will be released tomorrow. And our next guest is a man at helm of one of the best programs in southwest Louisiana. They are 23-7 and seven overall on the season. They finished as the district tournament runner-up for 4-4A over the weekend. It's our privilege to welcome back to the show the North Vermilion head baseball coach, Jeremy Trahan, joins us. Coach, good morning, brother. How are you? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you making the time, bud. So, uh, look, this district tournament thing that everyone's starting to do now, this is a new thing. What do you make of playing an additional little mini tournament towards the end of the season to determine who the district champion is? Man, I, I thought it was great. Uh, it was great baseball. Uh, I mean, we, we have one of the top districts in the state. So um, I think the the district championship has lost its luster a little bit. Um, and, and I think the tournament format sort of puts a little bit more emphasis on being a district champion. Um you know, and and I just really thought it was a great uh, week uh, of baseball with some of the top teams in the state competing to, uh, you know, to to win that championship game. 
So for you guys, the district tournament began back on Tuesday against Lafayette Christian, right? Yes, we had a bye. We went into the tournament after one. We seeded the tournament with uh, one round of district play. Um, after the first round, us, SDM, and Turlings uh, were all tied uh, for the first spot. Um, so it went to uh, least runs allowed. So we had the tiebreaker there. So we went into the tournament as the one seed. Um, SCM went in as the two seed, and then Turling as Turlings as the three, um, based off of uh, least runs allowed to seed the tournament. And we so we uh, we had a bye, and, and then we played LCA uh, in our first game Tuesday. So you win the first game against LCA, then you lose against STM on Wednesday, which drops you down in the losers bracket, but. You guys put together a run. You beat Turlings again on Friday. Then you beat STM in a classic game, a one-run uh, deciding affair, 7-6 to six victory for your team, Coach, and then you, you fall short in, in the championship game because you had to beat them twice. Um, would, you make of, would you make of how your team performed at the district tournament this past week? Uh, I was imp- really impressed with this, man. We, uh, we beat uh, LCA, then um, you know we lost to uh, – SDM, but then came back and uh, and played really well against Turlings on Friday uh, to put them out. And then um, that game, that first game Saturday, uh, a lot of people didn't realize we actually went 12 innings, uh, came from behind, um, you know, never quit. It was a, a classic uh, high school baseball game between two teams that just battled the whole way. And, and in the 12th, we hit a walk-off double. Uh, by Cody Bro to to, to win it. Um, we had to use a little bit more pitching than we wanted to, um, you know, drop it into the loser's bracket and then playing the 12 innings in the first game Saturday, and we just sort of ran out of gas in the second one. But definitely very proud of the kids, um, you know, that going through this, this district tournament uh, against the top teams that we faced is going to really help us to prepare uh, for this, uh, hopefully, run to the state tournament um where we can we can make another run for the third year in a row um but definitely this district tournament help you know help us to achieve that coach five games in five days it very much feels like the playoffs it very much feels like having to put together all the games that you need to win a state championship like you have to do in sulfur um, how key is that, and how much of an advantage is that for your, your Patriots to be able to have this late in the season, right before the start of the postseason? Oh, I think it's great. We were we were very excited to be put in this district, um, you know, this year moving in there with STM and Turlings and LCA and, and you know all the other teams in the district, just to where we knew that we would be battle tested and face some of the top arms in the state. Uh, you know, leading into that that. Uh, that playoff run you know we're gonna end up with a bye in the first round which is is good it's just we're gonna we're gonna spend two weeks technically of not playing uh we are gonna play a tune-up game on friday with with sulfur a little exhibition game um to help with that but you know us having to play uh those those top teams right there is definitely uh, beneficial right before we run into the playoff we're talking with Jeremy Trahan. He's the North Vermilion head baseball coach's team is 23-7 and on the season. They're gearing up for the postseason. The brackets will be announced tomorrow. And, Coach, you know, you had a great year last year. You ended up being the number one seed 
there for the class 4a bracket and you make a run all the way into the state championship game uh where you lose in eight innings uh seven to six to south terrebonne how do you deal with a loss in the championship game like that because it's so easy right for using it as fuel but also letting it kind of overwhelm you and letting it overtake everything in the offseason how do you find that balance from using that disappointment as fuel to get better but not to dwell on it so much where it becomes a huge distraction yeah you know that that loss in the state championship game last year was definitely hard for for everyone to swallow i mean i, I felt like our kids last year had really done everything uh needed to to get to that point and and uh you know accomplish what they wanted to do and we just you know we fell short to a good team and and uh you know, I think our kids are driven and to to get back to that point and and you know hopefully uh, end up on the winning side again. Um, you know, but they uh they, you know we've upped the schedule. Uh, that's one of the things we we felt like we could do to help us to attain that again. So we you know we we upped the schedule. We played some of the top teams in the state. Uh, which if you look now, I mean our last year we were the one seed. Um, this year right now we're sitting right around three. Uh, it's really close. Uh, one, two, and three. We've got a couple more losses this year, but uh, I think that's coupled with us playing a little bit harder schedule. That uh, we're hoping that that you know that's going to help us to to you know get over that hump and uh, you know get back and you know and hopefully be the last team standing. For those who haven't seen your team play, coach, what's the what's the identity of this team? What's uh, what do you guys pride yourself on? Man, we we throw a lot of strikes. Um, and, and, you know, we, for the most part, play very sound defense, and we sort of kind of live for the big inning. Um, we're not much of a, you know, score small amounts every inning type of team. We, you know, when we score, we tend to score in bunches. Um, you know, but the, the biggest thing is our, our pitching staff is, has, uh, has really stepped up. We've had, we had a couple injuries early in the season that, that uh, could have possibly – you know, hurt us really, really bad. But we've had some younger arms step up and have to throw for us, and and you know that they they really have carried the team throughout this whole season. Coach, obviously, you're wrapping up the regular season. You're getting ready for another long postseason run for uh, hopefully for the third straight year. What's the message to your guys, especially with having such a veteran team? Well, what's going to be the message between now and when you guys start postseason play? You know, the, the biggest thing is we wanted to be playing, you know, our best at the right time, and and I do I do feel like right now we're we're in that that uh that spot. I mean, we're playing well at the right time. Um, you know, we we just got to know that that it's uh you never know when it's and and we got to remember that feeling off of last year's uh, title loss and and use that to motivate us to you know, give it everything we have every game and, you know, and, and just leave it on the field. Coach, congratulations on a great season. Best of luck this postseason. Thank you so much for making the time. And uh, you, you make sure you keep those kids in line in class, brother. Yes, sir. Well, I appreciate it, man. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves, just like his hero, Dale Murphy. I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy. Little Raymond, though, wasn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero as his lone highlights as a ball player were being beat twice in the head. That actually explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Southwest Louisiana's Louisiana's sports station. I was asked last week about that rejoin, about being hit in the head. And I don't think I've told this story in a while. So, Dawson, you're the new producer extraordinaire, so we got some time here, so I feel like it's uh, it's story time with, with Uncle Ray. So, it's T-ball. And I'm rocking it. I am the starting first baseman, my friend, for the Dolphin Island Parkway Dragons. D.I.P. Shout out to D.I.P. because that's where I grew up, you know, off of Dolphin Island Parkway in Mobile. So my old man, who was known to, to have a few from time to time, was an assistant coach. Now, this is this is in an era, Dawson, where, you know, people didn't take their kids' youth sports so seriously. So, you know, it was very Bad News Bears-esque in the dugout. You know, the 80s, it was a different time. <laughs> so, I'm in right field, and we're warming up before the last game of the season. And my old man gets it in his head that, you know what's a great idea? <laughs> I'm pretty sure uh, a few Miller Highlifes were involved. He's in left field, and he decides that, you know, we're playing catch. We're warming up in the outfield. Well, the kid that I'm warming up with leaves because he has to go to the bathroom. So I'm just out there just hanging out by myself, throwing the ball up, you know, trying to be focused on the uh, our upcoming game, trying to be a champion, you know, champion championship mentality in T-ball. And my old man decides to throw the ball from left field over to me and try to holler at me to catch it. I did not hear him holler, and he hit me right in the head. <laughs> Boom. Just dropped like a sack of potatoes on the ground. My mother is beside herself. (laughs) She thinks I've died on the field before our last T-ball game of the season. Probably it was the championship game. So if you can imagine getting hit in the head, it causes some trepidation when you have to go on to the next level and you have to stand in the batter's box and you have to hit the ball not off a tee, but from someone throwing it at you. But I was able to persevere. So there I am a couple years later. Still living in Mobile. Little League Baseball. I get in the batter's box because I'm right-handed, so I get on the left side, right? And I'm facing off. And I'm like, I got this. And I overcome my fear of getting hit in the head with the baseball. Because I wanted to be Dale Murphy. My dream was to play right field for the Atlanta Braves. And I think the count was like two and one, if I remember right. It's a little foggy, and I'm about to explain why. 
So I get in there. I got my bat up and I'm ready. And I don't remember anything else. The only thing I remember is trying to get out of the way and the pitch coming and it hit me square in the helmet, on the side of the helmet. So much so that my helmet fell off. I was told later. I was also told later because I I had enough awareness to know that I had to go take my base. So I tried to go take my base. But I believe third base was first base. So I made it about halfway down the third base line and then just fell. Once again, my mother having a stroke at the ballpark down the road from our house. And I had no idea. I had no idea where I was at. Once again, this is the 80s. I probably had a concussion. I probably should have been looked at. But that was, you know, a time and a place where it was like, just rub some dirt on it. Put some ice on him. He's fine. He's fine. He doesn't remember walking towards third base and falling down halfway with no helmet on. But he's good to go. If you're going to ask me, RP3, did you ever overcome your fear of getting hit in the face again with the baseball? After that, no. I continued to play baseball, and I was like John Crook versus Randy Johnson at the All-Star game. I could never get past the point of always thinking that the ball was going to come at my face and hit me in the face. Fairly impressed with the details that you've recalled from that time that was a couple of years ago. It's been, yeah, it's been more than a few, my friend. My biggest question is what kind of heat was this nine-year-old bringing that you were concussed from a ball off the helmet? Was this guy a future Atlanta Brave prospect himself? No, but I do believe he was a little bit on the older end of the yeah. age group. For that, that, I would have been probably eight or nine, and he looked like he was like a 12-year-old. Yeah. Had a little mustache coming in. And <laughs> he was. He, he had the old IM12 certificate presented yeah. to the umpires. I was like, I was like, I remember thinking to myself, I was like, that kid looks really big. <laughs> now I was the youngest guy in my class always because I'm, yeah. I'm born in September, so I was always like I started kindergarten at four, so I was always smaller on, on the small side. But yeah, man, that was. Uh, oh man. And I mean, the technology in the helmets has come a long ways too. So yes, I imagine you weren't dealing with the most cushioned. Uh, high-quality helmets back in the 80s over at the uh, wonderful rec department that you were a part of. No, 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 no. There was none of, there was none of that. There was no, there was no uh, analytics. There was no technology involved with the equipment. So, yeah, someone asked me about that. Like, you guys always play that. You actually, did you really get hit in the head? Yes. If you hear it on this show, it happened. <laughs> it just it's just it. I, I'm not that creative to come up with stuff, uh, you know, just making up stuff. It, it, this is these are these are true stories. I had a uh, I had a colorful childhood from time to time. Well, we have talked about. We do need to refresh some of the rejoins. I think we need to we need to get a couple of new ones. So we need to work on that. I, I think we need to put the sole focus on you. Uh, well, no, the, I wasn't going to go there. But if, you, <laughs> if if it has to happen, we can we can create a couple. For sure. <laughs> yes, yes, we will. Hey, talking baseball, we talked about the Raging Cajuns dropping two or three at home. No need to panic just yet. We're only halfway through conference schedule. LSU takes takes two or three from Kentucky. Good to go there as well, even though I'm a little concerned about the pitching behind Skeens. Like, is someone going to step up and be just an above mediocre number two pitcher for that staff? Because if they can do that, then they'll more than likely win the whole thing. 
But let's talk about them Cowboys over in the Chuck. They desperately needed a series win yet again. And they took on the Southeastern Lions on the road in Hammond. And look, you just don't go into Hammond, Louisiana and expect to win, Dawson. I'm not for sure if you're privy to that, but that's just not how it works. Yeah, Hammond, America is where dreams go to die. Hammond, America is where dreams go to die. These two teams faced off for the Southland Conference Tournament Championship just last season. Well, you know what McNeese did? Took two or three. Another series win for the Cowboys. Now, they're 6-6 six and six overall in conference play. And many of you are like, well, you're just 500. But the Southland is so wide open because McNeese had some early season struggles because Southeastern's been, been down this year as well. By the way, who had the Lions as the worst team in the Southland Conference? Anyone? Anyone? No. Incarnate Word is still the class of the conference as it stands right now. 20-15 and 15 overall, 8-4 and four in Southland Conference play. But then there's a logjam, Dawson. Three teams at 5-4, and four, Northwestern State, Nichols, and HCU. And then it's McNeese and UNO at 6-6. Six and six. So it's anyone's to win halfway through the conference slate. And for the Cowboys to go on the road and to be able to get a win, and they did so in dramatic fashion, I might add, is big. Is big for Justin's Hills team that you feel like maybe they're starting to turn a corner having taken two or three from Southeastern, also winning a midweek contest against Rice, which is a quality win for, for McNeese, and coming off a weekend where they took two or three from Texas A&M Corpus Christi. So back-to-back conference series wins for McNeese, and they got two midweek games wins last week as well. They got UNO, which could be a big series this coming weekend there at Joe Miller Ballpark, three-game set. And then after that, they're on the road at Incarnate Word. So they could make up some big ground here, the Cowboys could, this week. No midweek affair for McNeese this week as they played two last week. They have the midweek off, and they'll get back to action this weekend for a three-game set at Joe Miller. So, Starting to start, it's starting to feel a little bit like that the McNeese Cowboys are starting to turn a corner, Dawson. Yeah, the Southland is is you know is what it is. I would say there's there's it's not a open. dominant team, right. and so I think it's pretty surprising that McNeese is only six and six at this point. The the Houston Christian now Houston Christian's a team that was that was look they were one of the worst teams in the country before conference play and they found a way to win five of their first nine and sit it tied for second place five and four that's something we didn't see coming. But if you take away that series loss and you start to look deeper, I mean, it still to me feels like McNeese is the best team in the conference and Incarnate Word certainly has something to say about that. They've played well when it's come to conference play, so I I still feel confident for them to going on the road to San Antonio next weekend and get in win. And, and I the, do. you know, the thing, too, with the Incarnate Word is the, some of their schedule. Look, they've already played Houston Christian. Um, they took two or three from each of their next three opponents, which was Southeastern, Nichols, and Lamar. Um, but a lot of that took place at home. And, and so I don't know. I, I don't know if there's a clear-cut favorite, but I, I would still tend to pick McNeese if I had to. The other thing, too, that's interesting is there's no, like, really bad teams in the conference. Correct, which is going to make the conference tournament 
far more interesting. That's going to be at Lake Charles again. But look, everything's still in front of McNeese. UNO this weekend at home. Then it's on the road at Incarnate Word. Then at home versus Lamar. Then at Northwestern State. And that's how they wrap up conference play because they actually play Miami of Ohio for a three-game series to wrap up the regular season. That's a non-conference game. So everything's kind of in front of them, right? And they can build up some good momentum and find somebody else besides Rodgers to be able to go out there and to pitch, which is which is huge for them. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to talk more high school baseball with the skipper of the Eunice High Bobcats. That's right, Cajun Prairie time. They're having a tremendous season as well. Scott Phillips will be joining us. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, Don't forget to go vote on our poll question of the day. It's about the number one ranked team in the country, LSU. They got the best lineup in the country, and they've played a gauntlet to begin conference play. All five of their first five series have been against teams ranked in the top 12. They've won four or five. The South Carolina series obviously was cut short due to weather. They split that one. So they played tough competition, but they're averaging five and a half runs given up in conference play. That's a big number. And we know... Skeens is amazing, but they don't have anyone else that stepped up as of yet to take on that number two role. Will the pitching hold them back from winning a national title? That's our poll question of the day. Go vote on that. Leave your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter. But right now it's time for us to get back to the diamond, the high school diamond, with our next guest. He has led the Eunice High Bobcats to a 25-5 and mark on the season. They have won 10 straight ball games. They wrap up the regular season tonight versus Iota before preparing for the playoffs with the brackets being released tomorrow. Welcome to RP3 and Company, Coach Scott Phillips. Coach, good morning to you, brother. How are you? Good morning to you, man. Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine, brother. Good deal, man. I appreciate you having us on, Raymond. I really do. Well, appreciate you making the time. So, um, I guess you guys just decided to say, you know what, we're, we're tired of this losing stuff. We're just not going to lose ever again. <laughs> well, we've had a, um, a good run, man. I got an older bunch. I got nine seniors. Um, they, they get after it every time we get on the field, man. I mean, we've, we've, we've been in every game we've played. Two games got away from us, but for the most part, we were in it for, you know, the majority of the game. And I, I just attribute it to experience, man. And these guys have been playing, most of them, Three years, you know, the COVID year cut them short, but most of them have been on the field for some part of three years. And, you know, the last few years we've, we were one-run games, and right there and we'd lose them. This year we found ways to win them. And you're finding ways to win a lot of them. I mean, you haven't lost since dropping that to, that game to uh, Kinder and Rick Whittington. You know, he does a nice job over there. 
with the Yellow Jackets and a well-respected coach. Uh, do you feel like your team? Obviously, you haven't lost a game since, but do you feel? Did you feel like your team team uh, turned a corner after that loss? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we've 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 been pretty solid most of the year, man. Especially defensively and uh, and pitching wise, and our offense has really taken off over the last two to three weeks. And and um, you know, if you can get all that clicking at the same time, and, and I feel that's kind of where we're at. You know, you, you you're going to make a, a decent run, and I, I think we're playing our best baseball at, at this time and that's what you want going into late in the season is playing your best baseball you know you got a veteran team nine seniors as you mentioned coach does that change how you deal with your guys I mean some coaches when you have a veteran team you kind of let them do some of the coaching as well because you expect it but does that uh, is that your approach as well or do you you still you know coach the same way you do when this team was younger um, a little bit of both. I, I, I got some older guys, and you got to kind of go with the feel with the team. And we've been playing so much. It's like, heck, we're trying to figure the last time we really had a, a really good practice in. You know what I mean? It's like play, 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 weather, weather, play. It's been <laughs> it's been hectic, man, the last couple weeks. And, and we've, you know, a lot of our practices are, have been short and sweet. And um, I feel like this time of the year, more so just, you know, keep them healthy keep them rested, but keep them sharp, you know, and our older guys do help with that. I mean, just, you can kind of feed off of those guys and our young guys just follow suit. What did you learn about yourself and what did you learn about the team after last year's run to the second round of the playoffs where you guys came up just a little short against North Vermillion, the top seed in the bracket? What would you learn about yourself and what did your team learn about itself? It's not like we had to put in more work and, and, the summer helped us. The fall helped us. I had almost all my guys in my last hour um, PE class, so we were able to get a lot more work in. And I, I think that really helped get us more prepared for our season. We were able to enter squad during during school and just get work done where where a lot of times we, we haven't been able to do that. And, and, and as a coach, hey, this is my my thirty second year, my thirtieth at Eunice, and um, you know every team's different, but um, I feel like. You know, this this older bunch was just ready to go, and, and it really helps, like, like I said earlier, having older guys that have been through the fire. You know, if this was their first year, you know, actually getting on the field, then, then we'd have some issues. But, no, these guys have been carrying the load for three years. And, you know, and, and you know we've lost some games over the years, but, but Unified Baseball has been very successful over the last 30 years here. And, and, I mean, we had a few down years. I really think COVID hurt us as many as, as well as many. And, um you know, it just took a while to rebound. How were you able to rebound? What did it take? What did it take on your part and as a veteran coach? What did it take on your guys' part? Harder work. I mean, just this weight room. I mean, they, they bought into it more. Um, just buying into to what, what the coaches are telling. We got a great staff. I mean, our coaches work hard with our kids. And, and um, I, I, just that whole year with the COVID, I hate to use that as an excuse. It just felt like. It took us a year or so just to get us back on track. We didn't play summer ball. We, didn't, we couldn't do anything that summer, and we were very young. So it's like they missed their whole freshman year, and it took a whole other year, like their sophomore year was their freshman year, and it, it took us a while to recover. And once we got that going, you know, and last year, you know, being in the district of Northern May, and that, 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 you know, that was, that was a tough district and, and a tough opponent with them and rain and, I mean, it, it was a solid, solid district, and we had to take our lumps to, to get where we are today. 
We're talking with Scott Phillips, longtime baseball coach at Eunice High School. His team is 25-5 and on the season. They've won 10 straight games, and they wrap up the regular season tonight versus Iota at home there on the Cajun Prairie, and then they'll gear up for the playoffs, which will begin later this week. Brackets are going to be released tomorrow. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. For those folks who maybe haven't seen your team play in person this year, Coach, what's this team's identity? Um, a lot of a lot of grit. I, I feel I, we got some guys that I feel like they, they 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 play hard. They never feel like they're out of it. They're fun to watch. We've got some guys that can run. Um, so I mean, they 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 they're hard nineties down the line. I mean, I, I just feel like. This is a different bunch that, that I've had in the past, and, and maybe we've, we've grinded into their heads, like, like play hard, get after it, make every, tough, every play a tough play for the infielder and outfielder. And, and I, I think that's, just, that, that's our identity. Just, we, this team's got some grit and some fight in them, and, and uh, we'll see how far it can take us. Obviously, you got a veteran team, Coach, and the ultimate goal is always to put together a deep playoff run do you believe that this team, with everything that you guys have been building towards, everything that you guys have been working on the last few years, do you think this team is built this year to make a deep playoff run? I do. I do. I, I, feel, like, um, I feel like we can make a good run. Again, it comes down a lot of times to the right draw. Uh, when you can throw your, your guys, depending on the weather, if the weather doesn't you know, mess everything up. And, and, um, but I, I really do. I do feel like this this team can make make a make a solid run. Our goal going into the season was to be in the top five, to win twenty plus games, and to win the district title, which we've won a share of with Rain, which is another fine club. And uh, we've accomplished everything to this point. And our next point is to get to Salter and see where we end up. Coach, always appreciate your time, brother. Thank you so much for making it. Congratulations on the season. And uh, best of luck to you and the Bobcats in the playoff bracket, my brother. I appreciate you, man. Thanks a bunch for having us. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Usawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I absolutely love when we just have kind of like a random conversation that's just spurred on organically. Didn't plan for it. Right. And and it results in some comments here. I shared earlier about the glorious two times that I was pelted in the head with a baseball growing up playing organized baseball. The first time in T-ball for the regular season finale, 
by my own father, who thought it was a good idea after having a couple of high lifes to throw the ball from left field and pelt me in the head in right field while we were warming up. And then the other time, I do believe I was in third grade, where I got hit in the head so hard in the batter's box that I believed I was taking my base when, in fact, I was stumbling towards the third base and fell about halfway through. <laughs> Texting into Katiana, number one Houston Cougar fan of RP3 and company, by the way. Dawson, you need to take notes of these things. I wanted to be Craig Biggio, but since I'm left-handed, I couldn't play catcher, so I was a left fielder and first baseman. My pops loves the first time I was going for a home run in left field and didn't lead with my hand, knocking myself out in the metal pipe fence. He still laughs about it. <laughs> oh, that is amazing. That is absolutely amazing. Yeah, oh, man. It just happens. Oh, goodness. Oh, man. <laughs> Darren, number one Raging Cajun fan of RP3 and Company, says, bro, you have me feeling bad. I did almost the same thing to Trey. I was trying to teach him baseball. I put him in a batter's box, and instead of me watching him closely and telling him stand, oh, but he stood on top of the plate, and I set the pitch on like 60 miles per hour, and it came straight at him. <laughs> Two or three pitches hit him right in the face. He never picked up a bat again. Oh, oh man. I also remember when we were at a Pee Wee football game, I threw up a pass to him to go get it, and I was going towards a metal swing set, and he dove to catch it, and he went face first into it and knocked out his two front teeth. I think that's why he doesn't want to play wide receiver. I felt bad you brought up old memories. <laughs> Sometimes dad fails. Look, you know, you know what dad fails do, D'Lo? Build character. Build character. Yes, there may be some physical and emotional scars placed there. <laughs> but it builds character. That's what it does. You have plenty of character. So obviously, Papa Iserlow, the original Iceman, by the way. Just going to throw that out there. When are we going to get your dad on the show? Let's talk about that because that is a tradition that we like to do here on RP3 and Company that family members, either proud mamas or papas, will either comment on poll questions or we actually have them on the phone and be part of the show. When can we get Papa Iserlow, a.k.a. Iceman, to swing by the studios and possibly be part of the show? Um, whenever his work schedule slows down, we certainly. Or maybe maybe a maybe a holiday for him that's not that we that we still have a show on. I know there's maybe a couple of days throughout the year where that'll happen. So yeah, absolutely. Nice. When does when does when does Pops get to work? Uh, it, I mean, he works from home some days, but some days he's out on visits. So it just it just kind of depends. Maybe we can finagle it. That's a five dollar word. Yeah, uh -huh. nicely done. Oh, uh -huh. how about that, Florida State boy? Look what I can do. Yeah. Maybe we can have him before he goes out to maybe one of his uh, appointments. We can have him swing back in the final hour. Yeah, maybe so. Especially, yeah, if, especially if it's on the way. If it's if he's headed into the in this direction of the state, that that could work. Uh, Florida yes. State new uniforms unveiled for football. By the way, hope you saw those. Refreshed, nothing big. I did see. People were saying it. Yep. Ma it, it made them feel like they were the older uniforms they used to have. Is that this was kind of the goal. Yeah, and I think the fans had a lot about. Like I love the tribal pattern, and I didn't mind it being bigger and enlarged on the sleeves. But they went back to a smaller uh, tribal pattern on the cufflinks and moved the number down. Just a slight refresh, but it's also on the new Nike template. That's only for a couple of teams this year. Florida State's one of them. So the new uh, Nike brag. Fuse template. It's a brag. Um, yeah, that was it's a nice a unveil. And you'll get to see him in action for the first time 
in Orlando when they play the LSU Tigers. That's, that should fall. be a battle of two top 15 ranked opponents. Certainly. Maybe it even top 10. Like, we'll see. Maybe even yeah. top 10. But I think it's going to be at least a top 15. That's going to be a heck of a way to kick off the season. You know what? Today was a heck of a way to kick off the week. And I want to thank our guest, Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio. Jeremy Trahan, the North Vermilion head baseball coach. Scott Phillips, the Eunice High baseball coach, for joining us to help us kick off the week. We did have a poll question of the day. Do you think LSU's lack of pitching depth will cost them the title? Final results, 47% of you say it's too early to tell. 34% say yes. 19% say no. Look, I think they're going to have the opportunity to settle down. I think they're going to have the opportunity to find someone as the schedule kind of lightens up. But when you get to Omaha, you're playing the best of the best. So somebody's going to have to seize the opportunity, grab that brass ring, if you will, and become this staff's number two because they got an ace. They got a number one overall draft pick guy that takes the bump on Friday nights. They're going to have to have somebody else because Skeens can't pitch every single game. Doug on Twitter says this should have been settled by now. If they make it to Omaha, they will probably face Wake, and they're just as good, if not better. I like what I've seen from Bryce Collins about time. Who that forever says just need to get healthy. If we're 100%, no one's beating this team. If we have any downfalls, there'll be a lack of a quality Saturday starter. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. Thanks to all of you who left your comments as well. We appreciate you making us part of your morning. Four. The producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlo. I hope Papa's listening. I definitely need him to be in the studio. We've got to make that happen. That's your, that's your assignment. I'm Raymond Parch III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote, a man who does not appreciate the opposing team hitting grand slams off his starting pitcher in or off his relief pitcher in the seventh inning. He's up next with footnotes right here on the game.